Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Brad, I swear to God, if you talk about football this episode, I'm driving there and punching you in the face. Like, seriously, none. We're not doing it. I sincerely hope you don't read my name on here then. Yeah, I saw that, and that's your limit. <laughs> I just want to say that I, I, I'm not hurt. I'm not – I'm disappointed, of course. You can't not be disappointed, but I'm not shocked. But what is truly marvelous about the Detroit Lions is that for a team who does this so often – these like catastrophic, there's no way this can happen. Oh God, it happened losses. They find a way to make each and every one uniquely God awful in its own beautiful way. Like any other, any other team in the NFL, this would be one of the worst losses in franchise history, or at least in their modern era. And for the Detroit Lions, it's a Sunday. That's all it is. Week one. Week one, I'll, and I'll give it to them. Usually they wait until like week three, four, sometimes even five before they pull out the, the rug out from under us. But uh, they just cut to the chase this year. So I appreciate that. Oh, man, is it going to be a long season? I was so ready for just a nice fall day. The sun shining, the windows open, a beer in my hand, made a burger, sit down, watch football. And it's like going into the fourth quarter, playing the freaking Bears. Mitch Trubisky, with that lead, I was like, I don't, I don't trust him. I don't trust him to not. Do, I don't trust him to not do what they're about to do. And I, as I hate to be, I was right. And for that reason, Brad, you are not to, allowed this episode to talk about your Buffalo Bills beating the Jets. All right, do me this one grace, <laughs> please. <laughs> I would sooner listen to Evan talking about the weight distribution on his driver club head <laughs> than hear about Josh Allen today. Evan just looked at you like, wait, can I? <laughs> I'll draw a high launch. Yeah, same. For me, it's like, how big do you want your sweet spot to be? And it's like, as wide as possible. Basically a hockey blade. <sighs> yeah, essentially. I'll still slice that thing. Can we take uh, Happy Gilmore's putter, but make it a driver? And let's give it to the Detroit Lions. Somehow that'll make their game better. For all Detroit sports fans that are uh, unfortunately like me following the Detroit Lions, uh, I'm sorry. And for the rest of this episode, we'll try to offer a reprieve. We are going to be talking about hockey. Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, empty inside. I'm Ryan Hanna. Uh, surprisingly happy, Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Evan, is this the third straight episode you've worn that shirt? No, it was in the wash. Oh, okay. It's it's fresh. I think the last week was an orange one. Well, this we, is an orange one. No, this is red. <laughs> this is definitely right. red. I have a buddy. I have a buddy who is colorblind and uh, orange is his favorite color. He's like, because I can always tell what orange is. And he's like, and that's why I'm wearing this shirt. I can, I, it's orange. I can always tell it's orange. We were like, oh, pal, that's brown. And he went, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that is tragic. Oh, man. 
Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we will be talking about the NHL playoffs, uh, what have uh, what's gone on in the conference finals, um, some notable news around the league. Um, GM of the Year awards came out, and they're as, as terrible as you can imagine. And then a continuation of our previous conversation regarding um, financial woes across the NHL and how that affects the Red Wings, either uh, with that team themselves, with uh, the Illiches, um, and how the uh, Red Wings can t- will be financed in the future, and then any opportunities that the Red Wings might get to capitalize on teams who are broke like the rest of us. Uh, we will be talking uh, a little bit about news uh, from Red Wings uh, here and abroad, and then going into our prospect profile. This will be a good one this week. We're going to be talking about Marco Rossi. So, uh, nice little episode for you guys here. Uh, first, the NHL playoffs. Um, Dallas continues to make me say their name like that. Dallas, 3-1 lead. Well, isn't it a rule in these playoffs? Every series must go to 3-1 at some point, regardless of how it finishes. So if we're going to follow script, Vegas is going to come back to tie it, but Dallas will ultimately win it in Game 7. Uh, may or may not have a lot to do with uh, UL Kavaranta, but we will see. Imagine he does it again. Like He's the heroic winner, scores a hat trick. Like There's no way. There's no way. But I hope it happens. That would be amazing. Anton Kadobin would probably be the low, like the least likely of the possible Consmith picks going into these playoffs. But he's he's well in that category now. Vegas has outplayed Dallas so badly for majority of this series. There's no way he isn't at least neck and neck with Haskinen now. Like there's no way it. Every metric you look at, Vegas has been the better team pretty comfortably. Like the shots in the last few games are like 140 something to 80 something. Like they're not even in the same realm. And yet Dallas is up 3 1. This is why, for as much as we mocked Ken Holland for all those years when he'd say, Oh, you just got to get in, there was, there was always some merit to it because it just takes one goalie going on a heater and not that Dallas has relied solely on a heater. They're not like the 2014 Red Wings. But, man, they should not be in this series. And yet, here we are. My thing is, like, let's say the Eastern Conference series where the Lightning are up 3-1 continues as is. And the Lightning eventually do take that um, that series over the Islanders. Are the Lightning the baddies in this uh, year's Cinderella story movie? Like, Every time a Cinderella story team comes up against, uh, you know, the one team at the end and that team, instead of like falling over to them, like Russia, like the Soviets did in, in the movie Miracle, which was also obviously real life. Um, are they just going to trounce them? Because that seems to be what Tampa Bay is doing to the Islanders. And the Islanders are, in my mind, akin to what Dallas is doing, except in the East. Although I, w- I would give the Islanders even a little bit more credit uh, than Dallas because I think they rely less on goaltending and more on working as a, a, a cohesive team. But that's not stopped them from being down 3-1 against Tampa Bay. Essentially what I'm saying, is this Tampa Bay's year unless they run into Vegas? Been saying every year it's their year until it is because they're ridiculously stacked. They're doing this all without their captain and one of the best goal scorers on the planet. That's the crazy part. And they're making it look like child's play. But to your other point there where you can draw the similarities to me between the Islanders and the Stars, 
is both organizations, you can take one person away and neither team is in this scenario. Dallas, right now, you take Hudobin away and they're not here. The Islanders, you take Barry Trotz away and they're not here. Because Dallas, in my mind, has a better roster than the Islanders, and I would say that pretty comfortably. But, like, the Stars have an interim head coach. At least it doesn't seem like interim anymore. But And the Islanders have the best coach on the face of the earth. So... Not not exactly apples to apples, but uh, reliant on one person at the current moment is a similarity. It's uh, credit to uh, Rick Bonus. I think that's his name. Rick, is it? Rick yep. Bonus. Yep. Hasn't yeah. co- been a head coach in the NHL since like 2003, I think. Well, the job's his now if he wants it. So credit yep. to him over there. Um, so, yeah, th- there's... There's one thing that I keep laughing about with this, actually, which is that Vegas fans, I before they came into this league, I was expecting a lot of jokes to come at the expense of Vegas fans to say, oh, you guys are new fans, like you're the rookies, you don't know true pain, blah, blah, blah. Vegas fans are going through the paces year in and year out at this point. Like, let's say they lose. And I'm not saying that's a guarantee because they're a phenomenal team. And if there's any team in the NHL that could be down 3-1 and come back and win in the conference finals, Vegas is certainly one of them. But let's say they lose. Year one, they lose in the Stanley Cup Finals after a, a miracle run. Year two, they lose on the most devastating five minutes of that season of NHL hockey off of a call that likely shouldn't even have happened. And then, Likely? Yeah, definitely shouldn't have happened, which caused a rule change. That's how bad that call was. And this year, let's say hypothetically, they outplay the team by a large margin, a team that shouldn't even have made it that far by all rights, and they still get knocked out. Those those fans are going to be battered and bruised and scarred just like the rest of us in short order. Oh, yeah, they're, they're catching up in a real hurry. Now, they've never had to experience the pain of a 17-win season, but I digress. Yeah, don't even get me started. I, people have already forgotten. I, I've already had discussions with people um, you know, talking about this draft and next draft because 2021 draft is coming and we've been talking more about, you know, Owen Power and Carson Lambos and that kind of guy. And, and most Red Wings fans who are tuned into that kind of thing are looking more at the defenseman than anything because most of the top prospects are defensemen and that's what the Red Wings will likely try to pick, at least in, in their minds. Um, and people have said, no, the Red Wings don't need nice things. It's like, man, 39 points, 39. You get 10 just for signing your name. Yeah. Anyways. Except they misspelled their name, so they started at that deficit. Yeah, they spelled Red Wings with uh, no space. And a Z. Uh, Evan, did you have Dallas going through, or did you have Vegas making it? I had Vegas and Philly in the finals, so this is the last straw that I have to grasp at. Yeah, that's it's it for good. me. I'm already done. I, I had Colorado, Philly. I had Colorado Tampa, I believe. Oh, well, look at that. You guys, uh, out of the rest of us, Brad, Brad does, uh, Brad, Brad does deserve credit for his perseverance and just picking Tampa every year. I eventually gave up on that as well. I mean, there somewhere in the world, it, it took a long time, but when the Capitals won the cup, there was someone in my exact position just smacked the table and went, do you see? <laughs> That's going to be me with Tampa when they win. Like, I don't want them to win. They're a division rival. I mean, by all accounts, they deserve it. But, yeah, like, that will be me. It's like, 
there it is. Finally. Man, the more I watch Braden Point, the more... I don't know. I don't know. I get that teams are going to get better every single year at not just passing on players because they're small, but are they still doing it to some degree? And this is going to relate to Marco Rossi later, but it's just so frustrating to watch a player dominate that much and having his, uh, the people screaming from the rooftops that they should have taken him earlier be vindicated. And just to say like, this guy was taken in the third round and he has dominated as expected. Like these people were telling us exactly how he would play and how he would dominate the game. And he's, uh, he's some, one of his teammates called him the most dangerous players in the, one of the most dangerous players in playoffs right now, which is obviously true. And all I can think is Tampa Bay got this guy in the third round. Are we still doing that in the draft? No. Look how far you have to go down in the draft this year specifically. And even look at like any of the draft rankings before you see a player where big is one of their main attributes that describes their style of play. Like, well, there's a lot of big players. So let's say big and physical because that's usually what gets overemphasized. Like, man, looking down my rankings and like kind of in my head going with what the other like Braden Schneider, that might be it in the first like two rounds where that where they fit that description. I'm sure there's a couple others on a bunch of lists that I'm forgetting, but I think Braden Schneider is the only one. And it's not even like he's a monster big. And you look at all the tiny guys in the top 20, top 30 of this draft. Raymond Rossi, Drysdale is not that big. Perfetti. Uh, Quinn is sub six feet. Jarvis, uh, like Maverick Bork, Emil Andre. People are looking at skill more than ever now. They, I mean, for as much as we make fun of how archaic the NHL is in a lot of ways, they do adapt. Like they really do adapt their style based on what's working. And people are looking at Tampa running a train on the league year in, year out, and then just running into horrible luck in the playoffs, but they're doing it with small players. Well, I should say they're doing it with small forwards, big defensemen. So I think that's a style a lot of teams will emulate, and it's a style I I tend to agree with. <clears throat> and Detroit. I mean, there's a reason they pick Cider. You get the big defenseman, and then I wouldn't be surprised they take a small forward. I wouldn't be surprised if they take a few small forwards in this draft with where they, where all their picks are lining up versus the consensus rankings. But I mean, I, I'm not going to say every single NHL team has passed it, but a heavy majority are past it. You're not going to see the WHL's leading scorer, who's a dra- draft leading draft eligible scorer fall to the third round anymore that's just not gonna happen evan just had his research face on for a second i was doing some reading now nah, i know where we're going soon <laughs> we are uh let, let's pivot over to uh some news that came out in the nhl which was uh we touched on this before i think it was last episode where we talked about teams operating with an internal cap um next season so uh frank uh saravalli put out an article on tsn.ca talking about 17 teams at least have reduced uh pay within their organization from like gms to coaches to scouts to other hockey operations staff uh because of the uh the crunch they feel from COVID 19 um of the teams listed the detroit red wings were not one of them which 
isn't a guarantee that it can't happen to Detroit, but it is temporarily good news for um, fans of, of the team from a hockey operations standpoint. And I just want to also qualify all this by saying there is a certain amount of respect and, and consideration we have to have because these are people who are losing their jobs or being furloughed or, or um, having their salaries cut, you know, at best. So what? Furloughed? Is it not furloughed? Furloughed. There we go. Furloughed. That's I what I thought. I'm, like, I'm too yeah, gun no, shy right, at right. this point to straight out call any of you on your shit anymore. But I'm like, wait, that didn't sound right. <laughs> Furloughed. It's more of an American word. Like, we don't say that too much in Canada. Yeah. So, I read it way more than I say it. Um, the The consideration here isn't that definitely all of these teams are going to be operating at a, a reduced internal salary cap. But you can definitely draw that. Uh, conclusion a lot of the time you know if you're asking your coaches to take a 20 percent, 25 percent pay cut you're probably trying to not pay your players as much moving forward so the sabers uh, according to frank are considering an internal salary cap in the low 70 million range the coyotes um operating south of 70 million pittsburgh planning to budget in the low to mid 70 million range and as a reminder the salary cap will be 81 and a half million dollars there will be good players that are going to be moved. There, there's going to be an even bigger desperation to move bad, bad contracts for big dollar values, and there's going to be RFAs that are walked away from here. So, let's start this with the Red Wings from the business standpoint. One, delivery food did great during the quarantine, so Little Caesars might might not have taken a hit, and the Illiches might still have a good amount of money flowing in. Their casino business, on the other hand, might have balanced that out, so I'm not even going to speculate, but this is going to be a fascinating case study in business for the Red Wings going forward, um, because with most wealth accumulation in any serious manner, there's risk attached to it. If there was no risk attached to it, everybody would be a millionaire, right? So the Red Wings, as a company need to make money obviously they're not going to this season and probably not for a couple more seasons but how do you make money in the nhl you win you get playoff revenue the more you win the more eyes get attached to it like i don't like basketball but i followed the raptors playoffs like every year and um the same thing happens in detroit the tigers fans the lions fans the pistons fans they all come over when the red wings are in the playoffs you get more eyes more revenue more advertising hopefully more merchandise sales you sell out every game Again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how much winning equals. But how do you win? Well, you got to make your team better. And the Red Wings have a very, very unique opportunity this year with all the teams getting hammered and losing money, like I'm sure almost every team is. Um, and every owner's side uh, real business is also getting hammered. So do they take the hit now, overspend, bring in dead contracts, acquire assets, spend to the cap if they have to, whatever, knowing it's going to suck and they're going to lose money in the short term, but hoping for the great payoff in the future. It's risky because if Eisenman brings in all these assets and blows them, like makes bad draft picks or trades them away for crap, Illich is going to be, the Illiches are going to be pissed, but Eisenman's got a track record of being a good GM. If he makes these moves, gets assets and the team turns around it could be a 10-year run of nothing but profit for the Illiches on this team because, of course, it's so I'm I'm really fascinated to see what the Red Wings do. It's obviously a positive first step. 
um, that they they weren't one of the teams that were laying people off and cutting costs already, although I'm sure they've cut costs in other ways. Every team has. But, uh, I mean, if you want to look at how to make money, you got to spend money. And, and this is the year to spend it because it looks like a lot of teams aren't. A, there's going to be good bargain players out there. I'm not a big guy to jump in and say the free agent market, but there's going to be one or two steals to be had in free agency that the Red Wings should absolutely explore. Um, who of those are, I'm not even going to predict because we'll have to let the first week or two of free agency settle to see who those are going to be. And two, so many teams are going to be shedding contracts. They are going to race to the bottom to outbid each other to get rid of their bad contracts. I, I will... I have no problem saying right now, if the Red Wings do not get at least a first and a second round pick out of taking on bad contracts this year, either the Illich is screwed up by not allowing Iserman to do it, or Iserman screwed up by not pursuing it aggressively enough. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to get to what you just said, Brad, in a second, but let's preface this with the situation that the Red Wings are looking at right now. Steve Eisenman is walking into this free agency period in this next season, whatever it looks like, with 11 of 23 roster players signed, 19 uh, empty spaces for contracts. So he only has 31 contracts. He has room for 19 more and $34.675 million in projected cap space. That is the second highest amount of cap space in the league. He is walking into this offseason with exactly the slate that he needs to take the biggest step forward that he will ever be able to take in my mind with this Red Wings team. No Abdul Kader's not coming off the books. No Nielsen's not coming off the books. But there are a significant amount of other, um, you know, players and pieces that have come or gone that have allowed him to have this flexibility. Couple that with what Brad just talked about, you know, being able to get a UFA where we we would usually say, yeah, it'd be nice to have that guy, but he's if he's a UFA, he's going to command way more money than would be worth spending on him. He will have opportunities to pay those guys at a lower, more affordable rate. Teams are going to be desperate to get rid of their big money contracts and not for on ice reasons. It's because they literally can't afford to pay them. And so they are going to give up more and more. It is a perfect, perfect, perfect storm for Eisenman to improve the team in every single way possible, excluding the draft. And he has that opportunity at the draft, but that's all out of his control. Those are lottery balls. It's bullshit. It's rigged, whatever. (laughs) But this is something that's completely within his purview. My point that I'm getting to is I'm not sure I can even allow myself that expectation of a first and a second round pick because GMs are so damn unpredictable. And all of this is so, I don't know, we, we can model and predict and, and hypothesize all day. And then um, uh, Jim Rutherford goes and makes that trade that he did for Kapanen, which he didn't have to do right then, right? He could have waited however many months. But anyways, here's the thing, though. You look at it in very recent years, like we don't have to go back far. We can go back to last summer, the going rate. To get rid of bad contracts is first and second round picks. The Carolina Hurricanes acquired a first round pick to take on one year 
of Patrick Marlowe at, what was it, six and a half, seven million dollars? You are telling me, Louis, two years of six million dollars of Louis Erickson in a bad cap situation. Remember, when these prices were being paid last year, the NHL was trending in an amazing direction. Teams were not worried about the cap. It was going to be growing every year. Fantastic position. That's gone now. So if in a normal world, the going rate was first and second round picks to get rid of your David Backuses, your Patrick Marlowe's, et cetera, I'm, I'm not buying. I'm setting an expectation because this is a better situation for the team acquire, teams acquiring bad contracts. And the Red Wings have so much cap space. There is a reality. They could take on three to four of these. Now, obviously, most teams are going to go to Seattle first because reasons but um that's a year delayed so that won't work for a lot of teams unless they're looking at you know two three four year contracts with a gentleman's handshake but who are the teams that are actively going to be acquiring dead contracts there won't be many the teams with the most cap because ryan as you mentioned detroit has the second most cap space which team has the most ottawa and does their owner seem like the type of guy who's going to be spending excess money right now? No, he actually Ever. mugged me outside yeah. <laughs> earlier today. So the point there being the Red Wings are in the literal best position in the entire NHL to acquire assets for taking on bad contracts. Again, I will repeat, if the Leafs can give up a first round pick for one year. Of Patrick Marlowe, I'm setting the expectation. What would it cost you? And this is a, not a productive uh, continuation of that conversation because it's just some stupid hypothetical. But I'm, 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 I have a list of some of the worst contracts in the NHL in front of me. What would you charge the Chicago Blackhawks to take on Brent Seabrook's full contract? $6.875 million a year for, I believe... Four more years? Oh, oh, that hurts. (laughs) Two first and a half decent prospect. Just send send Kirby Doc with him and be done with it, you know? (laughs) Honestly. Honestly. Like, Uh, if they don't want to do two first-round picks, I'd absolutely be getting a Doc or a Boakfist in that deal. There are a lot of bad contracts in the NHL. Yeah. That I just think that the there's... I don't want to set the expectation because in normal circumstances, it's so difficult. Like we can talk and we can, we can drum these up, but the reality is GMs are typically a little bit more skittish. Like when that Marlowe deal happened, it was a kind of a shock. And even now it was considered an overpayment, but no, you do make a good point, Brad. I'll concede. This is, these are atypical times and there's, it's connecting to what I was saying earlier. The Detroit's in the best position possible. It's a perfect storm. So if it doesn't happen now, when can you ever expect it to happen? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm very curious to see what comes of this. I think more information has to come out regarding teams finances too. Like for we we've established the Red Wings aren't necessarily in the clear. It could be the whole league. We might see some, you know, radical alteration to how uh, salary and revenue is dealt on both uh, hockey management and the player side as well. Like we there hasn't been meaningful hockey revenue in some time, and there isn't going to be meaningful hockey revenue for some time. So, um there's just so many unknowns here, but the silver lining is we do get to have some fun and dream about it. So listen to Brad. Don't listen to me this episode. I'm being a naysayer and Brad has hope. That's just because his football team won today. So 
It's literally the only reason. Uh, did Fridge, was it Friedman who talked about, you know, thinking that Chara would be a good fit on Detroit or mentioning some kind of link to, with Chara and Detroit? Yeah. So uh, that was on the 31 Thoughts podcast where they were talking about the Bruins future. And, and if the Bruins want to move on from Chara, if Chara wants to move on from the Bruins, if he even wants to play anymore. And he reading between the lines of what he was saying, it sounded like it wasn't overly likely that Boston was going to bring Chara back, but which which is crazy to me because you're going to lose Chara and Krug in the same year and and still attempt to be a contender. Weird to me, but then he said, well, if Chara leaves one team, I could see having serious interest. And he only mentioned one team and it was the Detroit Red Wings. And I mean, to me, that move would make a ton of sense. Um, he would not be expensive. He would be short term. He fills a direct need on the left side of the blue line. And there are almost no leaders in the NHL better than him. So if you want to use that age-old veteran leadership bullshit line, it actually applies to Achara. You don't bring in a David Legwan for veteran leadership, but you <laughs> do bring in a Zidane Achara because he's been there, done that, has the respect of his entire team. The Bruins locker room and team is run the right way. I mean, the Red Wings haven't had a captain for a few couple years now since Zetterberg retired. LTI retired. Man, I I don't hate the idea of Chara coming in here, honestly. He, he And he won't cost a lot, so it's no risk. And you have infinity cap space. Why not? Yeah, I had this same exact thought. Like, a lot of people's reaction would be, no, he's washed up. And it's like, well, you're not bringing him in to play top-level hockey. That's not what the Red Wings will be playing regardless. I, I agree. I think... Of the few players where you can actually apply and say, yes, their leadership and experience will bring tangible value to your organizations. Zidane Chara is one of those select few. Not only that, it's not just in a broad sense in the locker room, which it definitely does apply to him that way. He can mentor another big, hopefully as effective defenseman in Mo Sider or and the entire Red Wings uh, young defensive core. Like he, the, the the way that guy played the game wasn't just being huge and pissing off his opponents and fans of his opponents like us. Like he was a very effective defenseman, one of the best to ever play the blue line. He can actually guide and mentor the 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 Red Wings young prospects, even if it's just Mo Sider. Bringing him in to improve Mo Sider and raise his ceiling would be <laughs> reason enough. To, to bring in Char. Yeah, I, I like it. Even if you have to pay a premium and pay him $3 million, that, that's fine by me. Imagine a defensive pairing of Chara and Cider. That is 13 and a half feet of do not fuck with. <laughs> that is so much person. <laughs> I, I need that. I need that in my life so badly this winter. <laughs> I need that just so I can stop being annoyed with watching Chara because whenever Chara does things, he doesn't get penalized because he's huge. And the rest are like, ah, but he's so tall. And you're like, yeah, but he killed a guy. And they're like, but he was so tall while he was doing it. And I was like, he's dead. <laughs> that's 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 Jeff Merrick's running joke. Uh, Chara should win the Lady Bing every year just for not actually killing anybody because he very <laughs> easily could if he wanted to. He could. He'll like. I've seen him palm other players' heads so many times. <laughs> I can convince he could do it. Like Brad, you have a weird tiny head, but Evan and I got big old noggins. And I still think Chara throws around by your head. Kidding me? 
I bet I wear a bigger yeah. hat than you. But anyways. I don't have hats that fit. They're all too small. Literally, the biggest size is too small. I just don't wear hats. Evan wears hats all the time. Evan, what hat size are you? Um, seven and a half is a touch too small. S- sorry, there's numbers. I yeah. just see like that's how you know medium, I wear medium, a hat. Large. <laughs> <laughs> that's I think, fake. I didn't think that was a real thing. Yeah, I'm like a seven and five eighths. That's that and five okay. eighths. That's a so you know the little plastic nubs on the back of some hats. Yeah, I don't wear those. I guess it depends on those sizings. The hats could be a different size, but still have those. Anyways, I'm usually like th- only three left attached. Okay, that's that pretty Evan. I usually have to button up four or five of them. I, I have a eight. massive head. Yeah, don't know what's in there, but. Big cranium. <laughs> I mean, I asked you what hat size you wore and you gave us a seven second um, so I don't know what's rattling around in there either. Yeah, I got a lot of hats I had to remember. And Zidane Chara just actually wears a garbage bin with a brim. <laughs> and it works. Yeah, that guy could definitely palm my head. <laughs> no, the it's in a cruel twist of fate when the Red Wings actually have the cap, spa- cap space. We're advocating for them to bring in an old, way past his prime defenseman and paying him more money than he's worth for his intangibles in the dressing room. What have we become? <laughs> we have become everything we hate. I'm so we have become that which we swore to destroy. <laughs> That's why I haven't talked about this episode. Anything yeah. is possible. Yeah, for real. Oh, it was nice. Uh, it was nice to see Detroit lose how they did today, the Lions, because it was kind of like in uh, Inception at the end of Inception when that top is spinning. You don't know if you're there in the dream or not. Still, and then just at the little at the end, you see that little rattle that reminds you it is real life. And the Lions losing how they always lose did remind me that we aren't in. Uh, a simulation or at least we're not in a different simulation we're just in the same one we've always been in it's just a particularly bad season and some things stay the same and for anybody who doesn't follow other sports uh for reference and this is me as a neutral observer because i only cheer for the red wings in detroit the team with the most promising future in detroit is the red wings so think about that I don't know. The Tigers have a couple great pro. They have a couple first overall picks on that team. Yeah, but baseball's such voodoo. They might be garbage. Baseball prospects, and I do. I do not have the foundation to be talking about this. Like I have one millionth of the baseball knowledge that I do hockey knowledge. But baseball prospects all seem like goalies to me in hockey. Like you just guess. Yep. It's like this guy. Literally never allowed a hit in his entire pitching career all the way through the NCAA. And then he doesn't ever make it out of double A ball. And they're like, we found this kid in Puerto Rico. He pitched uh, while his grandpa, you know, sang at a restaurant. And this is literally the greatest player of all time. And you're just like, okay, why didn't you guys find him? All right. I don't know. Yeah. You'd think a game with so much analytics, it'd be almost a science at this point. Their analytics, or and for baseball fans who are listening to this, going, "Oh my god, these guys are so wrong." You're right. Oh yeah, totally wrong. I have no idea. We know a lot <laughs> about hockey, and we're still wrong about most of those prospects. So, what's our batting average going to be on baseball prospects? <laughs> well, when you have 25 rounds, you're bound to get someone to, who can crack your roster. That's the thing to me. It's just the volume of players who are picked and then how many of those players. Like, I understand, like, top-end players. Like, I was, I was being dramatic there. Top-end players, you can generally track their careers and um, they don't all fall away. But it's just 
with how many players they pick or used to pick. I know the draft was contracted or proposed to be contracted. So many of these guys that get their name called by a professional MLB MLB team never step foot in the stadium. They never make it out of the minors. I I went to uh, grade school and high school with a guy who was supposed to be this awesome pitcher for the Yankees. and I don't think he ever made it out of AAA ball. Great pitcher. Amazing athlete. I just don't think he ever made it. It's anecdotal and it can apply to all sports. Anyways, that's just how it reads to me. Um, speaking of things that are wrong or we think are wrong, GM of the year, Lou Lamorello. Huh? Okay, so this is how you can tell this is the one award where they actually let them vote during the playoffs because it's all the final four teams. Uh, I don't know. Is this one of those awards that's voted on by the... Uh, that is by other GMs. PHWA or was this... Because I, I know the Vezina is voted by goalies and there's a couple weird quirks to that, but like this is just so uncreative. Now, yeah, you can go, well, Lou Lamorello uh, brought in uh, Barry Trotz, so that alone's worth it. And it's like, oh, it's voted okay. on by the GMs. It's voted on by the GMs. Yeah, okay. So this is just an old boys club. But when you, so for reference, here is the top seven finalists for the GM of the year Lou Lamorello, who obviously won. Uh, that team was largely built by Gar Snow, and almost all the contracts Lou Lamorello signed are horrible. They just haven't got to the horrible years yet. He will. The Islanders are going to be viewed as a laughing stock in four years when Andersley, Jordan Eberle, Semyon Varlamov, Leo Komarov are well into their 30s, no longer valuable hockey players and still making $7 million a year. But it's okay. Whatever. Fine. They're here now. Uh, number two was Julian Brisebois, uh, the GM of the team that Steve Eiserman built. Uh, number three was Jim Nill with the Dallas Stars, who deserves every bit of credit he got. That is his team. Number four was Joe Sackick, the guy who should have won this in a landslide. Uh, number five was Kelly McCrimmon, GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, the team that George McPhee built. Uh, six was Jim Benning. I feel like I don't need to follow that up with anything. <laughs> and seven was Chuck Fletcher of the Philadelphia Flyers, who is managing the team that Ron Hextall built. Like, does, do people not get this? Yes, a lot of these guys made good moves, but I think someone listed out the amount of players on the current Islanders roster that Lou Lamorello put on that roster that weren't there before, and the list was like five or six players long, and one of them was Leo Komarov. Like, and he let he let Robin Lanner walk to pay Semyon Varlamov more money. I... Oh. It's, I yeah. get these are awards and they don't mean anything. In the grand scheme, they don't mean. It's just talking points in the future. And Lou Lamorello is a good hockey guy that everybody likes. And he built a culture. Great. I, let, show me what that culture is like in four years when the back half of all these contracts kick in and the Islanders are 21 and 60. Like, come on. that This award is flawed because it's rewarding GMs for immediate production when that's just not the nature of their job i think that's bad when the coach of the year the jack adams works that way um but for gm of the year for example the islanders are are on this recent tear of success over the past couple years but it's rewarding lula morello who cannot have been the architect of all the success hockey success is a long vision it's a long roadmap and one of the biggest failures teams make constantly is not giving the people that they hired the confidence 
to see out that roadmap and it's bumpy. Sometimes they give them too much confidence and too much time and then you run into terrible situations, which is why I'm not a hockey owner besides the fact that I don't have billions of dollars. It's just not accurate. What, no matter what, like l- let's remove all of Lou Lamorello's bad contracts from the situation. I find I have a hard time attributing the team success to the GM. Not that he deserves no credit. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're trying to give a tangible award, how do you, how do you do that to a guy who's not the one who brought in the key players at the top or the players who have been developing the, with the team for a long time? Is it literally an award because they're winning without Tavares? <laughs> I don't really understand. And think yeah, at that yeah. point too with Lamorello's relevant. He tried so hard to keep Tavares and couldn't do it. Like, <laughs> come on. And again, that might have been a great thing in hindsight because of what he's making versus what he's producing. So he might have got lucky on that one. But I mean, it, it's not hard to see what the NHL thinks. They don't. They don't. They look at wins. The four of the top five finalists are the four teams remaining and the one person in the top five that isn't is Joe Sackick and his team bo- got bounced in game seven of the second round with a ton of injuries. Like it's, it's uncreative and I get it. The GMs probably don't care about this award. What? I got to vote on this. <sighs> Who's still in it. And then they just write down the four teams that are still in it. There's my ballot. Do what you will with it. It's, it's dumb. I, whatever. And it's not even the dumbest thing that happened in the awards this week. No, no, it's not. I, 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 NHL player who spent his last offseason dropping his pants and basically sexually harassing a female security officer was second in the Lady Bing voting for most gentlemanly player. Well, he is I, gentlemanly. Most sportsmanly. He just showed his ass off the ice. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. Did you see he got a... He got a first place Selkie vote, Austin Matthews. Oh my god, I hate Le- and you know that was some Leafs media guy. It's I, I understand know. that Austin Matthews' biggest discretion happened off the ice and away from the context of hockey. I get that on the ice. He was a great player and was a clean player. I don't care. Read the room. The world is melting down. Now is not the time. If you want to give Austin Matthews his lady being in like five years when, when this is all blown over because it will, because people forget everything because we suck. <sighs> sure. But like, are you kidding me? Um, not to take away from what you were saying, Brad, um, but just quickly to wrap up the GM of the year voting thing. I, I think the funniest part of it it was you know every team was doing their coverage of the gm of the year award and um oilers um media it's very it was a very innocent thing they said did ken holland get snubbed as gm of the year and i made some dickhead joke because you know (laughs) reasons um and it was obviously funny but you know some people didn't like it and that's fine because it was a dumb joke but at the same time like it just really illustrates how convoluted and complicated that award must be. And how can you reasonably award it vote in the same year that you're supposed to be, you know, recognizing because look at Ken Holland, a lot, if not all of the Red Wings top prospects and and assets that they have right now are because of the work Ken Holland did once the rebuild fully started. 
that's work that he did, whether, you know, you're a fan of Ken Holland or not, or at least the last five to 10 years of his tenure in Detroit or not, that is work that he did. At the same time, he has the pretext of not rebuilding and making some pretty bad trades and UFA signings leading up to that. Um, and then there's a conversation of, oh, well, ownership made him do it and this and that. And it doesn't matter which side of the argument you fall on. It just really goes to show that rather than try to dissect all of that and vote on all of that in the same year and, and recognize one person for something that's going to look terrible in four years, like Lou Lamorello's contracts might Let's just all make some bullshit corny jokes on Twitter because that seems to be the only thing we are able to do reliably. Um, Sean Couturier won the Selkie. Uh, I think justifiably. Uh, Austin Matthews got a first place vote. I think Luke Lendening got a vote in there from uh, Penguins Media, which I was like, oh, that's nice. Good for them. I he got Yeah, he got one fifth place vote, Luke Lendening which puts him in the same league as Leon Dreisaitl, Gabriel Landeskog, Elias Lindholm, and Mitch Marner. So I'll take that. Good for Detroit. Sure. Sure. Why not? I, uh, Riley Shahan got one, I believe, as well. Or that might have been a Lady Bing. I don't know. But I saw Riley Shahan on one of the lists. Who Good to see Drinky Winky getting his recognition. <laughs> oh, that'll never get old. I love the Drinky Winky nickname. Who won the Lady Bing? McKinnon. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Which is hilarious because I think he's he gets heated quite often and just goes psycho, but doesn't get penalized. <laughs> so. Yeah. But he's Give really Zidane really Chara for, for seeing through the red mist, you know? Zidane Chara must want to kill so many piss ants in front of him, and the fact that he doesn't do it. <laughs> like, he almost killed Brendan Smith way back when. Yeah, well, you know, credit to Brendan Smith. For first bringing up that fight and then saying, better not. Yeah, never. Although I think he did go at him, right? I might remember that. He he didn't really back down, but he didn't really go at him. He was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, what are you going to do? And in the back of his head, like, please, no, please, no, please, no, please, no. (laughs) I've been in that position before. I was never a particularly big hockey player, but uh, I was angry sometimes, as you are when you play hockey, and then you mouth off to the wrong guy, and you're like... I was like, yeah, you want to fucking go? And in my head, I'm like, please say no, please say no, please say no. Please, please be a pacifist. Please be a pacifist. And then, like, I slowly back up until the refs got there, and then I was all of a sudden tougher again. Who among us, you know? Please punch me in uh, the stomach, not the face. <laughs> some very quick Red Wings news to move us along here. Uh, Zadina's doing well uh, over in the Czech Republic with HC. I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, Osolari uh, Trinek. He... One, they won their uh, league tournament, the Generali Seska Cup. Um, he had three goals and an assist in three games. Um, came fourth in playoff scoring. So good for Zadina and looks good for him to have uh, some success over there while the Red Wings aren't playing. It might be stuff like this might be all we see of Red Wings until a hopeful like prospect tournament that comes preseason. Pretty much. All right. Prospect profiles. Sure. Pros- prospect profile. Uh, as we are telling you on every episode recently, we are getting down under the wire here before the October NHL draft. And so we are going into each and every possible, if not likely, Detroit Red Wings pick at fourth overall. These are any of the guys who you can reasonably see uh, called up when Eisenman takes the screen, not stage, I guess. Um, and the October 6th, I think they moved it to. Yeah, that's what it was, October 6th. 
So uh, we're going to be diving into every player, not only who they are um, and and what their play is like, but also how it would impact the Detroit Red Wings uh, in terms of their future, uh, the prospect pipeline, how likely that pick is, whether we would like that pick or not, um, and pretty much dissecting this thing from the top down. So this is going to be one of my uh, favorite ones because it's one of the most interesting prospects in this draft in my mind, which is none other than Austrian forward Marco Rossi out of the OHL. Brad, take us away on Rossi. No, I'm not starting this one. Ask Evan the question you asked pre-show. That's where we got to (laughs) start. This is fair. Yeah, that's a good point. I asked these guys, is there anything Marco Rossi can't do? Grow. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those moments where I was like, shit, I wish we were recording. And Brad was like, that's good enough to honestly repeat it on air. (laughs) Because Evan is right. Jack of all trades at eighty uh, percent the height. That that's Marco Rossi. He is. If everything goes well and everything goes perfectly for him, smaller Patrice Bergeron. He's great defensively. He's great offensively. Good shot. Can score. Excellent playmaker. Excellent vi- positioning. Um, you know. It, it, it is really easy to say he doesn't have flaws in any major flaws in his game because it's a cop out answer, but he really doesn't. He's just five foot nine. And there are legitimate questions about, okay, he put up a hundred and like 90 something points in the OHL. It felt like, oh, but he is an overager. For this draft, he's a late birthday, so we have to take that into consideration. How will that translate to the NHL? And that's a fair point. I don't feel he has the ultimate offensive ceiling that a Tim Stutzla or a Lucas Raymond or a Cole Perfetti could have, but he's a better all-around player than all of them. Uh, but again, he also has a year of development on all of them which is maybe the biggest wild card in his game because his size doesn't seem to hinder him at all, even though it's a concern. Uh, very few sub 5'11 centers work in the NHL, and I've seen a lot of people suggest that Rossi go to the wing. I don't I don't see it. His game's too well-suited for the middle of the ice. Um, sure, he can get a little stronger and maybe getting a little quicker wouldn't hurt either, but I see him as a center. I would draft him as a center. I would develop him as a center. He's smart enough that if that doesn't work out, you can transition him to wing, and I'm sure he would get it quick enough. But it's so hard to get top, uh, top two centers in this league. I mean, don't waste your opportunity. But I don't see Rossi as being an 80 to 100 point guy, perennial Art Ross candidate. That's not him. But neither is Patrice Bergeron. And again, not saying they're apples to apples comparisons, but if you're thinking of the type of player, that's that's all I see with Rossi. So I, I'm a big, big fan. Uh, as of this moment, I still have him in my top five. I It'll be very hard to push him out of it. I mean, if this is the guy the Red Wings draft, I will not be upset about it. Yeah, what, I, I think I've watched more tape on Rossi than any other prospect. And I've watched an ungodly amount at this point. I've probably read more about Rossi than any other prospect, and I've read an ungodly amount at this point. 
And a lot of it was trying to poke holes in his game. And like you said, Brad, the guy just does everything. And I don't even think Jack of all trades, master of none is fair because he's not just able to do all of these things. He's able to do it at such a high end near elite level in some aspects. Nobody who is that good defensively, probably the strongest defensive top end player in this draft, almost definitely actually should have the puck skills and the stick handling that he does. But the way he manipulates and maneuvers the puck in tight and not just to, you know, move around players, but to finish and to score and to create plays that lead directly to goals, you don't find those things on the, those two attributes in the same player. I think he's a good skater down low where it matters. I think he he's strong on his skates. He has great edge work, so he capitalizes on the fact, or at least accounts for the fact that, yeah, he's only 5'9 or whatever he is, but he's strong down low where it matters on the ice. He's the guy you want on the penalty kill and the guy you want out there with a minute left in the game down a goal. I don't see a weakness in his game that scares me. Being small is one thing. I'm not afraid of having a player who's 5'9", but strong as hell on his skates. That doesn't matter to me. How many how many cases do we have to see in the NHL for these guys to succeed? Yeah, it might be less common, but what's a guy, what's a small player who's more likely to uh, break past his his height or, or physicality barrier? A guy who has the skill set that Marco Rossi does. And you're right, Brad. His skill set directly lends to him playing center, and that matters to me. I think the Red Wings need another top end center. They, the Red Wings ideal situation we've said time and time again is for Dylan Larkin to be their second best center. That'd be the dream for them. I don't know if Marco Rossi has that ceiling. And that to me is the biggest genuine holdup, which is his year, his extra year of development as an overager. How much is that truly affecting our vision of him compared to these guys? Cause if he keeps us up and if after a year, he's still pacing ahead of them, he'll be the steal of the draft. He will be. Because if he doesn't go in the, if he goes, you know, five or later, you're looking at a guy who, who maybe should have been a top three pick. Do you take that risk? So here's the crux of it. And now getting into the point of the second profile here, which is how is this directly Red Wings relevant? So there's two ways to look at this uh, with Rossi. One, he would almost be the best pick for the Red Wings if you want to go based on need. Um, the Red Wings' biggest need right now is at center, and it's as a scoring, playmaking threat. And obviously, the two A's a bonus. Rossi fits everything. He checks every box of what the Red Wings need up front right now. And Ryan kind of alluded to this. I don't know if Marco Rossi's ceiling is higher than Dylan Larkin. Whereas I look at the players around him in the draft, Perfetti, Raymond, Stutzla. I could see their ceilings being higher than Dylan Larkin if we're going to use that as a benchmark. And actually, in in some of their cases, specifically Stutzla and Raymond, I would hope that their ceiling is as higher than Dylan Larkin, at least on the offensive side. The different positions, so not apples to apples, but you get the point. I think Rossi's a safer pick than any of them. So it's it's that old thing. How how much money do you want to put on the table? Do you want a conservative bet or do you want to go all out? If you want to go all out, you're taking Raymond or Perfetti. If you're like, you know what? We really, really need to hit on this pick. And if it doesn't end up being the best player at the pick, but it's reasonably certain he'll be very, very close to that. Then, yeah, Rossi's probably the best pick at this range. And again, I don't want to call him a safe pick because his ceiling is still very high. 
This is not a guy you are settling for. This is a guy where if you draft Marco Rossi at fourth overall, your expectation should be number one center. Now, the Red Wings are lucky. They have Tillon Lurkin that they got at 15th overall, who turned into a guy in a redraft that would go third or fourth in his draft. So if the Red Wings end up with two Dylan Larkins, you can win a Stanley Cup with two Dylan Larkins as your top two centers, and then Joe Valeno as your third. That is tremendous center depth. And again, if Rossi doesn't end up being better than Larkin, that sucks, but then you're kind of juggling Rossi and Valeno for your 2-3, which again is not another... It isn't a terrible problem to have either. It just isn't as high as you would hope for fourth overall, which is the question mark here and why Rossi isn't the obvious pick. Yeah, I was just thinking what else I could possibly add to this conversation <laughs> since every stone has been turned. You um, got run over. I saw you lean forward to the mic and me and Brad were just so excited. I was just, there's, yeah, what else can you really say, right? Like, you guys have kind of covered it all. Um, I guess one thing to sort of point out is Marco Rossi isn't 5'9", 160 pounds. He is a semi-truck. He is, like, 185 pounds. So, having that on a 5'9 frame is huge. So, he he is built and he has that low center of gravity that does make him hard to knock off the puck physically. So that kind of, you know, makes the the height question a little less of an issue for me. Um, Another thing that's kind of interesting is Eisenman likes those high energy, high motor type guys. And I think Marco Rossi is 100% one of those players. And it's at both ends of the ice. So if the Red Wings end up picking him, I wouldn't be shocked because that's kind of Eisenman's MO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The um the thing with Rossi is is exactly that that he is the Steve Eisman prototypical player. Ross anyone who t- who has talked to Rossi or has watched Rossi or who plays or coaches Rossi always says or brings up that point. Like this guy might be small, but he makes up for it and then a hundred times more with how dedicated he is. And you usually don't find that dedication in someone who has the natural skill and talent that he does, but that doesn't stop him. He's a truck. He is a motor. He is so damn motivated. He and Perfetti are the two most like, yeah, that's a, this is a Steve Eisman pick right here just because of who they are as people. Um, Perfetti is like the, he, you know, is, is recognized for his abilities on and off the ice. He's the scholastic player of the year in the OHL. Was it right? That's the award. Like recognized yep, yes. for academics. And that like those are the kind of character things that not just for the Red Wings organization, but for Eisman. Like he likes those guys who are gonna give it one ten. So yeah, that's that's something for me where it really does lend a lot of credence to yeah, Rossi might be his guy. And then Eisman was a GM in Tampa Bay when Point emerged, right? Like he's seen small players come in and be successful. So I don't know. I <sighs> He is not in the highest tier of likelihood for me in terms of how likely is this pick, but he's probably, let's say, like exclude any of the big three that fall because most people would say those would be automatic picks. Put like Perfetti and Raymond 1A, I think Rossi's the 1B tier in my mind in terms of likelihood. I don't know what percentage you'd assign to that, 33, but I, I don't see Rossi being very far down the Red Wings board. No, no, he will not. 
I give him a 25 to 30 percent chance. That seems like a really, really low percentage, but then you got to think I'm I'm going to have Raymond and Perfetti in like the 35 to 40 tier. Like it's not going to be crazy, yeah. crazy far off. And then I'm going to lump everybody else into the like 2% tier. Yeah, I'd say there's like a one in four, one in three chance of them taking him. Yeah. And you know what? Like there's guys who if they took him, I'd be kind of like, well, it's not who I expected, and I think that actually might be a, like a mistake, all things considered. Rossi's not one of those. I would say, well, it's not what I expected, but I'm actually thrilled. I think this guy could be one of the most exciting prospects and the biggest I told you so of the draft. Like The way I see it is we're looking at a guy and we're talking about this is a guy who is a, a supremely talented offensive player who's the most defensively responsible forward in the draft, who plays in all situations and produces at an insanely high level and has the best work ethic out of anyone in the draft. And then in five years, we're all like, oh, my God, Rossi turned into this amazing player at both ends of the ice who has an incredible work ethic and is insanely successful. Who could have seen it coming? And then the retrospective answer would have been, well, it should have been everyone. The same way we're looking at it with Braden Point. And that's just what I – that's what's in me. And it's it's not born of a lot. Like, you can't really discount the fact that we are seeing an extra year of production and everything like that. But I really do think that we – that teams that that's a big risk for teams that pass on Rossi. And I just, I would wince if I was a GM that passed on Rossi and took out a player who ended up being worse, but that's why I'm not paid to do it for what it's worth. Bob McKenzie has him seventh on his list and Bob McKenzie's board aren't his personal rankings. It's a more of a, an assessment of where scouts across the league are ranking players. So this was as of the end of June, but Rossi is seventh. Raymond was sixth. Perfetti fifth. Drysdale fourth for context. So um, that's definitely subject to change. Anyhow, that is Marco Rossi. We are going to be doing more to come, including like a revisit of Jamie Drysdale within this new expanded scope. Uh, but for now, that is all for our prospect profile on Marco Rossi. So neat. Yeah, neat. Also, people are always surprised that he's Austrian. He's Austrian. He just plays for Ottawa in the OHL. The, the, you know what? You know what that means. If we draft Marco Rossi, guess who's coming back? We're bringing Vanek out of retirement. Oh, yeah, we need say. someone to man, uh, mentor the young Austrian. <laughs> well, doesn't this Daniel Charles speak like forty-five languages? Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else before we jump into overtime here? I got nothing. All right. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, Overtime is going to start with our Patreon supporters. They are the reason the show continues to happen. Uh, they are the guys who are giving it 100. The guys and gals giving it 110%. They're the ones with the motor and the drive. They're the ones built like a semi-truck. So thank you guys so much. And for that, we're going to read out your comments to say thanks. Dylan Krill says, hey, guys, besides Zider and, Zider and Zadina, who are your top five current Red Wings prospects and who do you expect to make an impact on the Wings first? Okay, are we allowed to include Rasmussen and Shalosky in here or is that too obvious because they've both already made impacts at the NHL level? No, you can include them. Okay, so we can include Zadina or Cider. Yeah. So my... Top five Red Wings prospects at this point, then, in terms of uh, taking the long view of this in order, I would probably go Valeno, Rasmussen, uh, Chaloski, Chuomisto, 
And then I'm torn between Berggren and uh, Johansson for the last one. No, it would ob- no I, I, I see McIsaac as a middle, like, defensive defenseman. I like the upside on Tuomisto and Johansson more. Um, feel bad even debating Berggren. At five, he should be a lot higher, but the injury history is scary at this point. Um, so it is what it is. I feel uh, Master Simone's right there in terms of who do I think is going to make the impact soonest. Uh, it's obviously going to be Rasmussen or Chalosky because I imagine they're both going to be full-time Red Wings this year. I think Chalosky will have a good impact on the left side now that he should be another year older, another year better. I see Rasmussen helping the power play. So it's hard to say what will matter more this season, but you know, it's a cop-out answer, but beyond them, it'd be Valeno. Uh, I would probably bump Master Simone and McIsaac in there. I'm still pretty hopeful for them, although I am sad to say I think I agree. I'm a little bit skittish on Berggren or at least being too hopeful. I think a ceiling is still there, but for those many injuries, for that many injuries that early in your career, yeah. Does Hiroshi count as well? Yeah, yeah he could. Sure. A little bit of a cop-out, but sure. Sucker. Uh, Nick Hill says, hey, everybody. Uh, the other day, a friend told me he had been listening to Steve's podcast and wished he had a podcast like that for the wings. I said, boy, do I have a golf slash movie podcast for you. I'll be waiting <laughs> for my cut of that. Listen, thank you, Nick. We appreciate it. <laughs> I thought I we were a food podcast. Haven't in a while, actually. It's been a lot more golf heavy, so we have to get back to our roots here. <laughs> Uh, Durian, worth it or not? No, I'm kidding. Uh, Stutzla is projected to go third. If Drysdale goes to LA, do we take Stutzla or still take Raymond? Also, is there any recency bias um, there since Raymond is one of the only prospects playing hockey right now? It's hard to call it recency bias. It's just confirmation of what we thought. So I don't think it should sway Lucas Raymond too much further up, but it should prevent him from falling. Because it'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we get it. We we still see it. I mean, I still go Stutzla, but like, I mean, the margins are razor thin. I, I Stutzla's quicker, and that's literally the only thing separating them for me. Um, but yeah, ask me tomorrow, and my answer might be different. I'm gonna not get cute here and stick with Stutzla, but. It's a thinner margin than people appreciate. I, I think Stutzla's positioning in the top three is is just as fragile as it was. I phrase that poorly. There was a there's a time when he wasn't listed in the top three, and I think he could very easily flip that way and I back to that way, and I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Alex Toger says, "Forgot to ask this on the last episode, but how did Nelson not get pulled from game two after that first hit, let alone the cross checked? It was scary seeing him struggle after that second shot to the head." Well, there's yeah, no I guess spotters there's no... in the crowd, right? Yeah, exactly. No concussion spotters. Can't no, there definitely are. Corey Perry got pulled when he got when he ran into Alex Tuck behind the net. So there are definitely spotters there. And uh, hey, would the NHL and safety and inconsistency? We haven't seen this before. This must be new. Uh, Corey Perry wasn't actually pulled by concussion spotter. It was me in the arena grabbing him by the collar and going, "Do you see? Do you see what it's like playing against you?" It's <laughs> just. He threw a nasty butt end at someone the other day. Yeah, Corey was, Perry. A shock to yeah. no one is Corey Perry. <laughs> um, Mike Babcock is a douche canoe. Says Mike Babcock is a poop pirate. Also, what happened to the swag that's coming our way? It's still going your way. Uh, mail in America is insanely slow right now. 
it did take a while to get it all sent out. I was waiting for enough people to justify the big batch of mail going out, but it, it is there. Should reach there eventually. I've had a couple of people confirm that they got it just recently, so should eventually reach you. If not within like the next couple of weeks, just message me and I'll send more and get more podcast swag. Terry says, good day, dud duds. Terry is here or Terry here. It's officially American football season and hashtag go pack go. Oh, Terry, terrible taste as usual. Evan Beckner says, I think everyone is pretty certain Eisman will try to take bad contracts for assets this offseason. The question I have is, when will he be looking to make the moves? The draft or perhaps the gap uh, from free agency to season start? There's a possibility the days after the draft could be bonkers. Uh, yeah, I am so curious to see on that timing too, because part of me says he probably wants to get this done before the draft to acquire these assets for this draft since he has a really good feel for this draft at this point so he knows what kind of assets he'd be getting but part of this is timing too there there is an advantage to spacing out your pick so that they're not all coming in at the same time and you can spread out your elcs so at this point given that he's already got what is it uh five picks in the first 62 picks he might not be so like antsy be like oh i need more this draft and he might be angling to get an extra first rounder, an extra second rounder in next year's draft. So that would buy him some time. And that would also allow teams the extra couple of days to see where they stand for free agency. And if they want to make a splash in free agency, he'll have that very, very small window, but literally a day where he could be like, all right, you got what you got in the draft. We got what we got in the draft. You know what you need in free agency. Here's what I can do for you. Let's make something happen. Um so, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to see a draft floor deal where uh, let's just uh, I'm not saying it'll be this team or if it's even likely, but let's say Nashville wants to get rid of Kyle Turris and they're picking 13th. The Nashville has a guy that they're like, we are not giving up on this guy. But then he gets picked 11th and they call Detroit. Hey, our guy's gone. This pick can be moved. Eisenman looks at his list. Oh, our guy's still there. Then you could see like a deal swung like that, uh, kind of like when they moved the Datsu contract uh, when Arizona was hot to trot on Chikrin there. So mm-hmm. I, I would not be shocked to see something like that happen. I, I think with the way the world is, the way everything is condensed in the offseason, like literally the draft ends two days later for agency. We're going to see some crazy shit that week, and I hope the Red Wings are in the middle of it. Uh, Michael Barry says, with the league not starting till the new year, what are you guys going to do in the winter after free agency with all the free time? We're not pretending to know for certain what any kind of schedule will be. We really thought that our usual like break would happen by now, and it hasn't because the draft hasn't happened. So we'll see how draft and free agency goes and when there's a projected season start and then we'll know more about <laughs> what our plans are. We've given up on trying to predict anything. We thought we'd be back in the studio by now. So. Yeah. And it's one of those things too. Once the draft settles, we'll probably be able to get a few weeks out of draft review, doing some deeper dives on the players the Red Wings actually picked. Um and then by that point because it's going to be such a short off season, we'll have a month, month and a half to the season. We'll between season previews like there's a reality where when we finish doing our draft wrap wrap up we're gonna have to start our division previews because we'll have that that much time to the season so it, it 
I don't think we're getting an off season this year as a podcast. If I'm being honest, we might take Christmas week off and that'll be it. <laughs> Time isn't even a concept anymore. It's a for it's it's a thing of the past. Actually, if the season starts the first week of January, we won't be able to take Christmas week off. So thanks for ruining Christmas, COVID. <laughs> Disco Sludge says, Furkit, trade Evan one for one for Demko, full send, let's go. Uh, I mean, they got to add some sweetener to that. Can't afford to live in Vancouver. <laughs> no, you certainly cannot. And Evan's a billionaire. Uh, C-Nod says, how pissed would the NHL be for an Islanders stars final? Two pretty unmarketable teams, especially the Islanders, which don't have a superstar. Given this, make your worst case scenario matchup for the NHL that could have, uh, that the NHL could have, uh, come out of the play in teams. I think Columbus versus the wild would be up there. Screw the NHL and their airtime grabs. I'm all about increasing the popularity of the game, but the way they go about it makes no sense to me. Florida, Arizona would be pretty rough for them. Yeah. Yeah, at least the NA, at least with Florida Arizona, the NHL could get the benefit of that would grow those teams in their own markets, which both teams are struggling with. Columbus and Minnesota do well in their own markets, but they don't do well outside of their markets, so that that probably is the worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah, that is bad. Uh <laughs> Sleeve McDykel. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those like Japanese uh, uh, generated names. I love that. Sleeve McDyckles. I, I still use Bob's and Dugnut from time to time. <laughs> this will be the first cup ever awarded to a team with no spectators. At least that this sleeve knows about. Show of hands, who thinks the team that wins the cup will still skate around an empty stadium like awkward recipients of the Dundies? As long as they don't put in that stupid like mixed uh, noise, like the, the backtrack audio to get rid of the... Uh, us hearing the players swear. Whoever's idea that was can kick rocks. I love hearing raw, unfiltered audio from the ice. Yeah, I they're absolutely going to skate it around the empty arena. I mean, they skated around the visitors arena if they win it on the road. They're not celebrating for the fans. They're celebrating with their teammates. And yeah, the background noise better not happen. I want to hear every F-bomb, every aging vet ugly crying, every, like, everything. I hate that they're pumping in crowd noise. Even though it sounds objectively fine, I kind of miss wanted to see the missed opportunity of hearing what like silent hockey sounded like i thought that could have been really fun but eh, it is what it is and i'll enjoy it all the same evan pardo asks do i take off uh work off for day one of the draft or day two i work nine to five if that's nine to five day two like east eastern take day two because you can still watch day one because that doesn't start till the evening it, uh, what I did at work is I originally had the Friday and the Saturday booked off work for when the draft happened. And, uh, thanks to the NHL, I'm like, Hmm, this is a problem. But, uh, I had two more vacation days that I couldn't roll over. So now I have that week. I work nine to five on the Tuesday and then I'm off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I will be, uh, around all week to angry tweet the draft, free agency, the lack of anything happening in between, like, I am ready. Liz B says, do you know what team uh, that could probably use and potentially afford flurry that isn't a total dumpster fire or in the same division as Vegas, Minnesota? Well, yeah, yeah. even if they draft Askarov, that'd be a good holdover. But the problem with Minnesota is they're already overpaying for one bad goalie. I, mm, and Staylock proved at least capable this year. So I don't know if they'd be eager. Vegas would have to retain half the salary to make that work. Connor Leighton says, oh, go ahead, Evan. I was going to say, I'm still sticking with Carolina. I would, re I really like that fit. 
Although uh, very difficult to make happen. <laughs> I was going to say there's a lot that would need to move, but who knows? It's 2020. Uh, more, so many Packers fans. Guys, I understand that if you, if you don't root for the Lions because you care about yourselves, but the Packers, ugh. It's like Ohio State. Don't do that to yourselves. Anyhow, Connor Leighton says, go pack, go. On a more serious note, what are your expectations for some of the players who've been loaned out for this extended offseason? Would a lack of goals slash assists from any of them be a disappointment? I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of those leagues, and I don't pretend to know what the goal of those players is. Like Sometimes coaches say, hey, go out there, but don't give it 110. We don't need you getting hurt. We just want you staying in shape. So I don't worry too much about that. I would be well, concerned who, if someone likes Zadina. It's been Zadina, Lindstrom, and who else did I miss? Heronic as well, no? I don't think so. That was early COVID. Yeah. Because like Lindstrom, I expect nothing from. He could get 0.0 anything for like 10 games and play great because that's his style of game. It's, it's boring, but effective. Um. Zadina has been producing, and Zadina is the type of player who who plays much better when he has playmakers with him to create. And obviously, being in a lesser league, that's going to be harder. So the fact he's producing at all is great. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. It depends who goes and where they go. But I I'm taking everything that happens overseas with a huge grain of salt. Zadina, Lindstrom, uh, Brome, Cider, and Heronic. Okay, uh, the defenseman, who cares, as long as they're not hurting themselves, great. And Brome hasn't actually played in North America yet, so I whatever. Uh, RC Tendi says Lafreniere goes first, Drysdale second, Byfield third. Do you take Stutzler or Raymond? There are no wrong answers unless your name is Brad. So, Brad, our answers from this question that we answered previously, yours is now wrong. Sorry. Okay, I changed my mind. It's Raymond now. <laughs> The towering behemoth Leviathan says, what would be your realistic dream haul in the second round with the three picks we have? We need more prospects to fill the roster behind first line center Elmer. Ooh, I like this. I like this question. So my dream second round would imply that I'm getting, we're getting one of everything the Red Wings need. So let's say potential high scoring winger, good center and uh, left shooting defenseman. So my dream second round would be Emil Andre, Ridley Gregg, and Tyson Forster. I have very low hopes that any of them make I was gonna it say, the third second round pick. But hey, he said dream second round. That would be a, a dream. That would be a dream. If I was being realistic, I'd probably say Greg. I, th- I think Andre could slip, so I'll keep him in there, and then I'll say, oh, looking through this here, who's a forward that could realistically fall to the late second round that we would love? I agree with you on Andre. I, I really like the idea of Andre slipping. Hirvinen? Yeah, that'd be fun. That that'd be, be a, a big swing of a pick. Jake Neighbors, if you wanted a bigger guy. Denny OD says the NFL is back. The Stanley Cup finals are about to start and we have less than a month until the draft. There are things finally to get excited about. Life is good. Just your average Tej says, what are your guys' fantasy football team names? Uh, same as my name on the uh, Patreon Discord. It's Big Umami. And Br- Brad and Evan don't play fantasy football. Yeah, I don't play any fantasy sports outside of the WWP one we do every year. And I usually forget to update my lineup after like four weeks on that anyway so i saw uh, I, I i don't like fantasy sports not my and this 
this next comment is actually from the person, a person who has the same name as, uh, Evan's fantasy team names. It's, uh, this one's from Big Bippy Bitches. It says, hi, diddly oh, neighborinos. Long time no comment. I find myself rooting for Tampa in the playoffs. In my mind, that's Eisenman's team still. Do y'all feel the same way as well? Porque or porque no? Thanks for the great show, boys. I mean, I always have a hard time rooting for division rivals, especially considering Tampa was a team that put Detroit out the last two years they were in the playoffs. But, I mean, I don't hate them like I hate a Boston, a Toronto, a Chicago, a Pittsburgh. So it's not like I'm going to be upset if they win. But, yeah, I'm definitely not rooting for them. And I, no matter how any of the either of these series finish, I'm going to be rooting for whoever comes out of the West. I for, I for the same reason that you mentioned is is why I like it. I, I why I like when Tampa wins. It's not like I'm outright rooting for them, but when they win, it gives that much more ammo to people who say, "Oh, you're fanboying over Eisman for no reason. Like you can't save this team." It's like, yeah, okay, maybe not, but his his track record is literally still running right now. So let's it could be a potential window into our into the Red Wings' future, and that's what's interesting to watch. Yeah. Double-edged sword, because if the Red Wings don't do what Tampa Bay's doing in time, then we're going to be extra disappointed. But All I know is misery and sadness right now, so... Yeah, can't go down from here. Famous last words. Uh, time for some Reddit questions. The Doctor 10 says, I doubt this will happen, but out of Stutzla or Byfield, who's the more likely to fall to fourth and why? Stutzla? Stutzla. Yeah. Byfield's a freak, and there's no way that LA and Ottawa both pass on him because his tools are too intriguing to let go. There are teams who have Stutzla outside of their top four or five, so not many, maybe only a couple, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, again, we say it time and time again, Byfield is a six foot four, 220 something pound center who can skate with skill. Yeah, there are questions about is his hockey IQ just very good or elite? Is his creativity very good or elite? But he has the tools to be effective no matter what. So it's hard to pass on that. Yeah, Byfield in a different draft without one Alexi Lafreniere would be a first overall pick and an easy one. Cross crease pass. <laughs> asked the same question I asked before about Brent Seabrook. Also go stars. Uh, yeah, Kirby Doc, which means it's not happening. But no, in all honesty, what Brad, I think you guys mentioned before, which is like firsts, multiple firsts, like you need a lot to get rid of that garbage contract. Um, Han Solo Mail, shout out to the YouTube prospect clips. Thank you. And thank you for all who are subscribing on YouTube. Uh, if you don't know, we're putting out the entire episodes on YouTube as well as uh, clips and segments from the show, including every single prospect profile that we're doing. I'm going back and creating a backlog of them all the way back to May, but all the major ones are already up there and continue to go up. Um, 2,000 subscribers. So thanks, guys. HZ40 says, how pessimistic are you next year on a scale from one to Lions fan? Uh, I know what to expect, so I'm probably at like a six. I don't think... I I can't be more sad like than I was this year. I know how bad it's going to be, so I don't know how much how much lower could it get. I'll go Browns fan. I know it's going to be bad, but there are some pieces there. <laughs> One of the major tenets of Cleveland sports or Cleveland people from Cleveland is that they're not Detroit. So, <laughs> Ugh. Uh, some thirteen thirty seven uh, says, "Will this? When will this team find a long term answer in net?" My opinion is that it won't happen for a few years and they won't try for a few years. Maybe this draft. 
they have enough picks in the late second third to take a swing at a, a Nico Dawes or a Joel Blumquist. Uh, funny enough, considering our light our lightning conversation, Red Wings ten twenty three says, "Can I get a fuck the lightning?" Yeah, sure, fuck the lightning, fuck the lightning. Uh, Kakaroto 007 says, can you see a scenario where Jeff Blashill is the Red Wings head coach until John Cooper's contract expires in 2022 and some long game 40 type chess move? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I could. I see scenarios where I retire and Jeff Blashill is still the Red Wings coach. <laughs> I see scenarios where Evan is brought in in 2022. I can do it. I have no coaching experience. Well, neither did Steve Nash, so. If Jeff Blashill can stay while Lane Lambert and uh, Ricard Gromberg and Gerard Gallant are all coaching free agents, that is enough of a signal where Eisenman, much like goaltending in my mind, is saying, well, there's no point in trying to figure this out right now. The team's not good enough to even justify it. Let's just let it ride. He's thinking that's future Steve's problem. Yeah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, Arrowboy Tim says, hey, guys, thanks for helping me out through hashtag these trying times. I'm so happy playoff hockey is back, but what I also really miss is playing hockey. My beer league shut down in March and there's no plans for it returning to finish our season. I remember one game where I absolutely obliterated a ref on accident. I was coming up on the sideboards, uh, getting pressured by the other team uh, with a full head of steam in the ozone. I look up and this older ref is directly in front of me and I slammed into him hard. He hits the ice and takes a minute to get up. He was an older guy and one of the few refs in the league I really liked. Needless to say, I felt terrible. Has anything similar happened to any of you, whether it be hitting a ref with a puck or accidentally f- uh, fricking up an opposing player? For context, I play in a true novice league, uh, so it's mostly older guys, and while they can get chippy, it's generally laid back. Go Wings. Y'all are awesome. I've yeah. been lucky that I haven't injured anybody. Like I've never taken a shot that's deflected up and caught someone in the face. I- I've bumped into refs, but I've never knocked them down or hurt. The worst one that I felt bad for, uh, we had a laugh about it after, but I was just coming down the wing in a beer league. I, no, it wasn't even a beer league. It was a shinny. And um, I just took a snapshot and Buddy was reaching to try and block it. And I just, the puck hit the middle of his stick right at the perfect angle. And it just buckled. And I looked at him like, oh, that wasn't a cheap stick. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, I've had this thing for like two months. And I'm like, oh, it's out of warranty. <laughs> I felt so bad on that one. Kind of an opposite story. Um, I refereed for a long time and uh, I actually used to referee sledge hockey. And I will tell you, sledge hockey players do not give a shit about where you are on the ice if you're a res- referee. It is your job to get out of their way. And let me tell you, it is hard. It is 10 times harder to referee sledge hockey. Also, when they shoot the puck, sometimes the puck curves in the air just by the nature of the angle that they get it off at. Man, I have never feared for my life like I did when I was refereeing sledge hockey. I did a game between uh, the Team Canada, like the Canadian Olympic team was touring around Canada. So I did Team Canada versus this like uh, put together Team Ontario. So this is like high level sledge hockey. I was not an experienced sledge hockey referee. I was literally just an, a, a normal ice hockey referee that got called and said, hey, do you want to make 50 bucks? Yeah, this is like my fourth game ever doing it. The amount of times that they ran me over and like I hit the ice hard and they uh, like would skate past me and just go dumbass, get out of the way. First time, bud. And I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. 
Like, and they'll fire the pucks anywhere near you. Like, if they need to clear it and you're at the spot of the glass, they need to shoot the puck. They'll fire it at your teeth. They're like, one way or the other, it's getting out of the zone. And if you have a dentist bill after that, that's your fault. Anyways, that's my that's my backwards story. Don't referee sledge hockey if you don't have the stomach for it. Classic Ryan concise story. I feel like oh, I was there. Me. I feel like I was there. <laughs> me. Oh. I feel like I was on that sledge hockey team. Evan absolutely was the embodiment of the guy calling you a dumbass. Yeah. He was. Yeah, it was. Well, because uh, Evan just bullied me, I'm now going to wrap up this episode. Taking the ball and going home. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we will see you again mi- midweek. Thank you all so much for supporting the show, our Patreon supporters, uh, our name level sponsors, uh, Terry Greech, Arjun Shanker, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Mike Babcock. What is it? Mike Babcock is a douche canoe. Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M, Matthew M Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Alkasem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee. Obir Juan Kenobi, Trevor Pepivar, Alex Ott, Ashley Van Conant, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all so much. Take care, and we will see you in a few days. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.